Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is Eric Wright, your host. And today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at Veeam Software. So make sure you do give a visit to them. Anything you need for your data protection needs, including your virtualization stack, your cloud stack, your SaaS stack, back that thing up, back everything up. So please do, whether it's physical servers, cloud, or virtualization, uh, check it out. Go to V ee.am forward slash disco posse. That's right. I even got my own link. That's how crazy this is. So go to vee.am forward slash disco posse. Check it out. You can even buy it right there. So please do with that. This is a great episode with Don W. Long. Don is just a fantastic human. Somebody who He's a peak performance consultant, also a best-selling author of two books. One is called The Blueprint of God. The other one's called Sell or Don't Eat. Don just shares so much insight into you know, motivation, how we can do things better, and how we can all do one thing for ourselves, which can affect the world in small ways every day. So you can, of course, check out his website through all the links in the show notes. Uh, but Don Long is just, he's just got a beautiful, infectious personality. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. With that, here we go. Hey guys, this is Don W. Long and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. Glad to be here today. jump right in uh john w long uh i love when i get to meet people who everything i read about them maps to my own hope and when i look at your impact on people we'll talk about how you do it but really the most profound thing you can do is when you look at somebody's impact on other lives and that feedback unfiltered and it being such a positive impact. Well, let's, let's explore a bit about you. So Don, you're author, you're a speaker, you're a mentor, you're somebody who I, uh, I'll, tell, I'll say an inspirer, if that's even a word, but you, you really have a capability through the way that you've, you communicate, you write, you, you do training, a lot of things. But Don, if you want to just introduce yourself, we're going to talk about your book. We'll talk about your, your training and really what brought you to be able to tell your story and help on people find theirs. Yeah, so I, I have had a lot of looks in business. I've been part of either founding or co-founding six different businesses over about 35 years. And one of the things that happened in my journey, I've always kind of mentored and coached different uh, people who, whether they were friends or family or business associates, and I've always enjoyed that. I've always enjoyed the interaction of of finding the little tidbits that I can find that work in my own life and business and be able to give them away to others. It's always been one of those things that kind of juice me, you know, it's kind of like live for it, you know? So uh, because of that, my journey has been in uh, personal growth. I've probably read, uh, I probably throw more books away on personal growth than most people will read. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, you know, I, I have, I, and the only ones I've thrown away uh, just as a caveat is the ones I thought were crap, you know, but most of them, most of them were, I would say 95% plus had, had some value and some applicable 
thing that I could take and, and apply to my business or my personal life. And I kind of come from the point of um, life is not really about what you gain, but who you become in the process. And the becoming process actually attracts all of the things that you're looking for in life. And uh, it's almost a, kind of the metaphor of, you know, life is really about seeing what good you can do in the world and spreading that with the way you do it. I mean, each, each of us have our own unique way in which we implement our life and live out our life and live out the, you know, the best of who we want to be and the best who we want people to be around us. And uh, for me, I found that, you know, Tony, you mentioned uh, Tony earlier. Um, I really got a series from him back in 2004 and it kind of, it was in a place in my life where I was going through what I call a spiritual meltdown and uh, really got some transformation. I, I didn't really know who he was until that point. But one of the things that he says is the reason for living is giving. And uh, it's, it sounds corny, but it's so true because the more I give, the better I feel about, you know, me and me contributing to uh, the value of other people, you know, so. What you brought up and in, in it's interesting, it's even just the way you describe it, the outcome is not the thing you work towards. The outcome is the result of the other thing you work towards. And there's a very big differentiation, right? So people could say like, oh, I want to become a, a millionaire. I want to learn how to ride a bike. So you know, I want to be able to get to 27 miles an hour for one hour. What like some other set the goal. But in fact, you've just the way you describe it is more like, what, what are the foundations that I can build that will lead to the outcome versus simply just chasing the outcome as being the only target is how describe how you do that goal setting and, and how you can separate the pure outcome from the path to reach it. You know, I, I, I have a second book that just came out actually in the middle of all of this uh, coronavirus. It went in supposedly in bookstores May the 19th, but uh, I don't know how many stores are open. Hard, yeah, hard to tell how many are actually receiving and selling inventory, sadly. But the, the title of the book is called The Blueprint of God. And it, it, I believe that there are blueprints inside of each human and the way to find the good that you're called to do, so to speak, is to find the desires and dreams that burn in you naturally and the things that light you up that cause you to come alive. You know, maybe it's playing music, maybe it's painting, maybe, you know, whatever, but something in that actually, even if you can't monetize every one of your gifts, something in that points to the ultimate thing that you should be doing and uh, our ultimate things. I like to classify it as big yeses and big whys instead of one, because I think one is too narrow for people's lives personally. But, the way that I've kind of come at this, I started just like everybody else in my early 20s, uh, really out of desperation. I needed to make some money in my business so me and my wife could have a place to live, you know? And so that's how the journey began. But as I started creating some wealth and finding, what I found is, and you know this, and most of the people listening to this know this, when I'd reach a goal, it never felt as nirvanic as I thought it was going to. And so the goal true. within itself, and the dream within itself, even though it was something you passionately burn for, if that's all there is, it's almost like it's fleeting. You know, it's like, wow, that, I, I thought that would feel different. You know, like I sold, by, I sold the last company that I ran in January of 2019. It was really, the date was the end of 18, but the, the, the check didn't come to the January. So that's when I thought I sold it. But anyways, uh, 
when I, I was riding home about a month after that, coming down this real curvy road close to my house, and I had my windows down, it was a warm day, and, the, and it was kind of on into the spring. And uh, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is what freedom feels like. And I'm like, I'm depressed about it because it doesn't feel like I thought it was going to feel right. Yeah. And so it's like you arrive at these moments in time. And if that's all there is about life, you, you're not going to be fulfilled. And that's why, you know, the, the two highest uh, human values that I have are growth and contribution. If I don't grow, I have nothing to give away. You know, and what I figured is that life is, and you, you know, this, we, I'm a destination person. Look, I'm a type A personality. I want to get it done. And I, I'm, I'm like point A, point B fast as possible. Let's move on and get it done. Right. So that's the way I was raised too. my family. My dad was like that. But what I've also, what I started to realize my wife is complete opposite. She's like tiny Tim. She likes to tiptoe through the tulips. She's an artist and she is complete opposite. And I've learned so much about life from her example of just letting it go and lay yeah, it. Don't rush it. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the journey. And it, my head's a little hard. So it's taken me a little bit of time to do this. I don't know that when I was 23, I looked at life like this, but definitely by the time I was 43, I looked at it like this. So, you know, my journey is really finding those things inside of you. And that would be the first thing I would tell people because it's, it's easy to find what you burn for. It's easy to find your desires and dreams or the things that you hope for. Maybe that's a better way to articulate it. You really bring up a, a profound point that, and I, I always tell people this, I'm like, what advice would I give, you know, 23-year-old me? It, wasn't, it wouldn't matter because 23-year-old me wouldn't listen That's to right. me today. That's right. And part of it is, so what I've been lucky enough to earn and learn with that gratification is to very much embrace that I, should, I feel nothing when I acquire something that I really wanted. And I've been able to separate that. And it's, it's a almost sort of stoic kind mm -hmm. of capability. And I'm, I'm very proud that I've learned to do this because, you know, I will order something off Amazon or I'll, I'll finally get a new guitar or I'll get a new bicycle. And it's, I just have this sort of like that high that I've, I'm going to be able to get this thing. And then when it, when I get it, the most beautiful feeling to me is that it's just, it just fits. Yeah. Nothing, no incredible high. And the reason why I, for me, my important learning from that is that also when I experience loss, I'm able to separate the incredible trough of feeling away from the activity. So that, and I, years ago, even I found this, I had a, my first guitar. My, I bought an acoustic guitar with the only money that I'd earned, you know, like it was the classic thing. And you know, those Don, those early days, you just, I was so proud. And I was at a party and then literally it was just leaning against the wall. And the, there was like 40 of us in this house and the dog goes running by, clips the edge of the guitar. It tips over, falls backwards and literally snaps the neck in half. Oh, and a friend of mine who's with me, uh, I picked it up and I just said, I was like, ah, oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, I guess I should probably put this in the case. And he, my friend was, he was horrified that I wasn't like punching the wall or like just torn up by this. Yeah. And I sat down and I said, and I just got back to the conversation. And because I, I realized that, hey, look, I, I don't need to get torn up about this right now. 
like, oh, this is, this is, I knew it was not good. And I, I was able to separate that experience. So Don, when you describe this idea of like knowing and discovering that the, the high isn't the high, you know, what, what do we do about that? How do we teach ourselves to kind of prepare for an event that we are not going to be satisfied about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you have to, uh, part of it for me and my journey is learning how to extract life out of each moment because life is more full of mundane Mondays than it is glorious Fridays. And uh, what I found out, I kind of use the 80-20 rule, which usually right most of the time. And I, I, I've looked at success like this, like 20% of your life at best is going to be spent on the mountaintop. 80% is lived in the valley where all the work goes in and the process of you becoming goes in. And so if we only have value for the moments when we're on the mountaintop, that means 80% of your life is going to suck. Yeah. You know? And it's like, so somehow, however you do, like, I love your, the thing about the Stoics. I've been studying the Stoics and um, it's like, I, I, I love the, the, you know, being able to detach from the good and the bad. It's not, but it's okay to celebrate. You know, I love uh, John Maxwell uh, makes this statement. He says, you know, when you win the trophy and you win the game, celebrate a few days, put the trophy on the shelf and go back to work. And I love that metaphor that works for me in a few days might be a week or two or whatever, but it's like, okay, now it's time to go back down in the Valley so we can go to the next place that we're supposed to go to. And, and the people are in the Valley. The people usually are not on the mountaintop with you. There might be just a small a group of those. And so for me, walking the process out starts to look more about, okay, it's still, I can give you a, a quick story in 2011, I, I'm a big believer in writing your dreams down. I have a mentor of mine who said, write a, you got to write a hundred down. And I tried my best to write a hundred cause he's like, don't add it. And uh, <laughs> I got, I got like, I got like 49 and I mean, I had everything in there from being a better dad. To I, I could, everything I could think about. I just tried to write everything down and not edit. And so the challenge is, is that within uh, three or four years, 2014, 75% of the dreams on that list had come to pass. And I, was, I went, on, went to a family vacation with my kids and my wife and some other family members. We went to the beach. And I had been highly frustrated the last week, couple of weeks going before that. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? I mean, everything's going my way. Why am I unhappy? You know, why am I, you know? And so I get down to the beach and I finally say, okay, I'm done. I'm taking my journal. I'm a big believer in journals. So I'm going to go find out why am I unhappy? What's, what's wrong with my life, you know? And I start writing the things down that are the most frustrating in my life. And the, the, the interesting factoid about it is then I started writing the things down that I was grateful for. The, the, match, the list on the things that were the most frustrating were the exact same list that I was the most grateful for. Yeah. And I realized, oh, my God, I, I'm like Peter Pan. I lost my happy thought. And that day I wrote it down in that journal. And since then, when I go through these spaces of time, where I run into those conflicts, I realize, wait a minute, I mean, I've lost center somewhere. I've, I've lost the happy thought of, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. Meaning that if you create a great wealth or great business or great lifestyle with your mate and relationship with your children, you have to work at that. And when it falls apart, you have to figure out why and put it back together and take the time that's necessary to do that. And to me, that goes back to the point of you growing because, you know, I don't know that we ever arrive, but we can always be growing. 
and the thing that's important, right, is that nothing is permanent. They always say like success isn't permanent, nor you know, failure isn't permanent, nor is success. That's exactly right. right. But any, even the most successful entrepreneur, like we just, we, no one, no one likes those, the negative story. We, of course, we tell the hero story. Like that's, yeah. because that's a, it's a great way to kind of celebrate and they're, they're beautiful, profound stories and we're inspired by them. But in fact, it's the best thing. And so Anthony Robbins, a great example. One of the things I really respect out of the way that his journey, I, I read into how he achieved some of his, you know, his goals. And, and one of my favorite things about him is that he's, he's failed greatly in so mm -hmm. many ways and, and gotten through it. And that's really, to me, is like the anti-fragility of mm -hmm. it. Not Because look, in a relationship, it's the same thing. When everything's going great, like 20 year, two 20 year olds in a relationship, there is literally nothing to fret about. Like, That's right. When you have children, joint, have joint finances, have to suffer a job loss, it's, it's how you survive those events that define the success of your partnership, right? Or, or and in business and in friendship and with your children. And that's the whole thing is that it's your, it's how you deal with that difficulty that will make you better. And I always say like better than yesterday is kind mm -hmm. of like, that's every, what can I do today that makes it better than yesterday? Even in some small, meaningful way, just the smallest thing, like you said, and Don, like, yeah, journaling, you had me at journaling. Like I, I have a morning, do morning journaling, evening recap journaling. And if I miss it, sometimes I do just because I get very busy. I don't have a chance to revisit. And then the next day I kind of, I feel it. I'm like, mm -hmm. I want to catch up. I'm mm -hmm. inspired by being able to pause and reflect. And it's, it's a, it's a habit that luckily I've been able to form and, and I found it to be good. So, you know, Don, you, you talked about, you've started and, and sold and built many successful businesses. How did, Let's talk, what about, what did 23-year-old Don start out doing? I Actually, let's go back in your history. I'd love to hear your personal story. The first thing, uh, once I got married, we were, uh, I was 20 when I got married, actually, and um, I moved in into, back to our family farm, and my wife and I moved in this little place called, it, you couldn't really describe it as a house. We called it the chicken house. My great-grandfather <laughs> had built it. It was basically a two-room two cinder block building that was built to raise chickens in. And it be it was lucky if it was 300 square feet total, you know. So uh, we moved in there, and uh, <laughs> in the beginning, I was just trying to figure out how to make my life work because I didn't want to live in the chicken house forever, you know. And so uh, I had <laughs> goal acquired, right? <laughs> I, the, 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 the I had two friends uh, that I they were more acquaintances in the beginning that played uh, soccer at UNC uh, in Chapel Hill. And they were sharp guys and they knew they could sell anything. Well, at that point in time, I had not really been ventured into sales, but if I started just hanging out with them and found out what they were doing and what they basically did is started what I called a glorified catering route where I sold donuts to businesses in different cities. And I would do that the first half of the day. And then at night we would do network marketing. You know, and these guys were sharp, tall, you know, they looked successful, you know, and so I just really they mentored me and I just kind of followed their lead. And, and that's how, you know, one thing led to another and we, we tried different things. We sold vacuum cleaner services. I sold um, 
a trucking school course that, that you could learn how to drive an 18 wheeler. So the first from 82 to 1986, I tell people I got a degree uh, in a master's degree in sales. And, you know, I, I got, I really got it from people who knew how to do it. So that was the great part about it is I learned, I got a lot of looks at life and, and the way people talked and the way people handled uh, situations and stuff. And uh, so I really got a great education. And from there, I started really being able to build businesses because it was really about relating to people. It's more about relationship. And I talk a little bit about this in the sales book is that the first two chapters, the first one's on uh, the real you, the second one's on authenticity. So those are my two highest values. It's like, because it's really about a communication with people and aligning your goals with their goals and finding win-wins with people. It's not, I've never really looked at it. In the beginning, I looked at it like sales, but I really look more like, you know, today, more what I would call influence. I'm influencing clients to make better decisions uh, for whatever reason and that will aligns with their goals and dreams. So your, your description of things very much centers out of relationships and, and that ability to have a meaningful connection to people. Did that, when, when did you discover that that was important in, in your life? You know, I, I'd love to tell you that uh, I discovered it when I was in my twenties, but I don't really think that I valued relationship until um, I really had the, the, uh, the spiritual meltdown in 2004, where my life in, in some areas kind of came unglued. And I realized the value of the relationships that I had and some, the, I won't go through the whole story, but basically there was a relationship that I had to be, that I had to disconnect from because it became very um, toxic uh, from me and my wife. And it, and, it, and it was in a leadership role at an organization and I'll just leave it at that. But it caused me to go through this spiral and to, re, to try to reevaluate my standards, my beliefs about life and, and the person I would become and who, what, what, I'm, what am I going to do now? Because so much of, you know, as young people, you'll understand this when you're in your twenties, you build something and you're, and then all of a sudden you don't realize how much of your identity gets wrapped around it. And that's not who you are. Your businesses are not who you are. And, uh, but it's hard to tell someone when they're young that you, know, you spend 20 years building something and you have successful businesses and you don't realize, I didn't realize at that time when I was probably about 43 or four, I'm 58 now. So I was probably in my early forties and um, I hit a wall and I started having to reevaluate everything. And one of the things that I came out of that with is, you know, I decided in that season, I would rather have relationship them be right. <laughs> a lot of times, you, you know, when you're young, you just want to be right. Uh, but really, the reality of it is, is that it's better to have relationship with people, especially people close to you. And so that's kind of the, the it took me, I, I can see over the time from my 20s and 30s, how I did value. But I really until I hit that hard spot, you were talking about that early about how do you talk about the failures in life, you know, and I heard that on some of the other guests that you had on. And Look, it's, here's the thing that people need to understand. If you want a great breakthrough, you have to go through hell first. The size of a contradiction determines the size of the breakthrough that you're going to get on the other side. And if we could look at the battle we're going through or the thing we're trying to overcome or whatever failure we're going through at that time, that, 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 that place, it seems like it's going to crush us. That actually is the seed 
for your breakthrough on the other side. And that was probably the greatest lesson that I learned in 2004 coming out of that 2004 to through about 2006. And um, my businesses and stuff just started going to a whole nother level in 2006 after I worked through my process. You know, this is the interesting thing, right? I believe that, you know, adversity is the most powerful training tool. And I wish that we didn't, I'd, I'd love to create kind of controlled adversity. I like, I, and you never want someone to go through a, a real sort of spiral uh, down, you know, spiral trip down. And that's because the, the real feeling of loss of, of just sense of control. And I say that's, we don't have control. What we have is the ability to map uh, certain behaviors to align with events. In the end, yep. this you know, this big, beautiful spinning earth we're on, we're, we're, we're along for a short part of the ride. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. So I always think of that. The We seek two things which are... I believe profoundly incorrect control and being right. And what I've learned through life is that control is a veil for being able to quickly map and adapt to your immediate surroundings and be prepared for what's next. And then the second piece is you are better to seek the right answer than to be right. And it's tough for, 23-year-old Don and 23-year-old Eric to get that, like, because we want it. Like, we all, we're humans. We love right. being right. And there was a point where my favorite thing was to be wrong once, you know, and learn from that so that I wouldn't let that wrongness occur again. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very difficult to to find those things. And that's why like my favorite, you know, sort of like there's these kind of like neat sort of stock questions you can ask people. And one of my favorites I always ask is, I'm pretty sure because I stole it from Tim Ferriss or somewhere. Somebody has, has created this sort of checklist and it's like, what's the, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you that you're the most thankful for? Uh, you know, it, it would have to be the 2004 experience. Um, yeah, I had grown up in this uh, nonprofit organization for about 18 to 20 years. And the person leading it was, was my greatest mentor in life. And um, because of some differences and there was nothing illegal or nothing, you know, morally wrong, just some differences of, of path going forward. Um, it was a, it, it felt like someone died when I had to separate our relationship. And uh, it, for about a year, um, I'm not very much, I, I'm, I'm type A, I'm going to get it done. And when I fail, I'm going to tend to lick my wounds and move forward. I don't usually cry over spilt milk very much. And, um, but, but I was different in that season. And then um, I, I won't go through the whole story. I talk a little bit about it in the blueprint of God, but I had this encounter and this experience, the beginning of 2006, that kind of completely revolutionized my life. And if I hadn't had that encounter that was so hard it was, it felt like it was going to destroy my life, you know, in some ways it was going to destroy a piece of my identity in some ways. But if I hadn't had that, I would have never had the 2006 experience. And then all the other life that came out of that. And it's like, I don't even know, you know, it's almost like in people who know me, have heard more of the story. It's like, I had a life before uh, 2006 and, and I had a life after and they're two different lives completely. And um, without that, contradiction that felt like I was going to die from it, so to speak, 
I wouldn't have got the other piece. It's, uh, it's difficult to recognize when you're in the throes of it. And I think that's one of the most, dif the most challenging parts of anything. And, you know, as you survive more of those types of life events, you become better at identifying that you're in, you're in the trough. It will bounce back. And you've just got to kind of create a compensating set of capabilities that will let you get through the, and experience the difficulty. In fact, it's one of the things I tell people, I'm like, look, you heard Tom Skerritt line from, from Top Gun, look here, son, I'm not here to blow sunshine up your ass. This okay. is, we are, we have to go through some difficult moments. And in fact, experiencing them creates that adversity you know, that remembered self you will have going forward. The experiencing self doesn't want to go through that, right? That's the reason why people look for like, can I, can I lose weight without having to give up, you know, what I love? Like, well, if you love sweet food, <laughs> I got bad news for you. <laughs> but we, and we just, we kind of always want to chase the positive and, and what I've, I don't, so and I, I could go on about that, but really let's talk about spirituality and how you can kind of, what you discovered and how your life successes kind of mapped to how spirituality has played out those stories, right? We talk about, you know, the stories of, of any religion, you know, whatever it yeah. is. And in fact, they're, the, the, you know, these parables and, you know, even like Aesop's fables, all of mm. every story that's so old that we can write it down because it's not, not copyrighted anymore, right? Anything yeah. that's lived that long and is a, is a powerful story is literally just that, you know, but the spirituality that's wrapped around it is what like makes it meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I was going to add on the, the prior discussion is that, I have a mentor out in California who's a friend of mine. I'm, I look up to him. He's, he's been a kind of a spiritual mentor. And he said, you know, the reason that God prunes you is to protect you. So when he pours out the blessing on you, it doesn't destroy you. And so what we have to realize in going through things is that uh, pruning is necessary. If you have plants in your yard and you don't prune them, I don't know where you live, but where I live, we can get ice storms and hurricanes here, you know, pretty regularly. So if either one of those happens to an unpruned plant over two or three years, it basically destroys the plant. So never cutting your plant back causes it never to grow the strength it needs to stand in the storms of life. And that's really what happens to us. And for me, the, you know, spiritual path and, and writing the blueprint of God and, and the sub, subtitle is the wisdom to change the world is in you really caused me to uh, uh, evaluate the core issue that, that, that everyone's challenged with is like, who am I and why am I here? <laughs> the simple human question, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, I try to cover as much of it in there. And I, I come from a background of the Christian faith. So I kind of hit some of those highlights of uh, Psalms and, and some of the other writings that are, that are older and, and, and tied to our gifts and talents and our dreams. And the kind of it's, I would call it a, more of a destiny discovery product than anything else. But the spiritual part of it for me is scored around identity. And without knowing who you are, 
um, and then, then, then attempting to find out why you're here. I think the why kind of builds over time. I think we want to look, you know, I know, you know, who Simon, I think guess is cynic or cynic. Simon cynic, yes, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I read his book on the why and, and I've heard people talk about the why and the yes. And, and I don't subscribe to one because I think one uh, is too narrow. I think that I have, uh, I have lots of yeses in my life, so to speak, are wise, my children, my wife, my career, you know, what I'm contributing to and the nonprofit, just lots of things that are, would be centered around really a close why for me, right? And so, but I think that's something you walk out as you find out who. And what ended up happening to me in my experience in 04 through 06 is I found out who I was more and why, and, and then that opened the door to why am I here, you know, and, and then I developed kind of a metaphor around identity and wealth creation and, and then doing good in the world. And those are kind of my three things that I started really, I don't know, I was running companies at the time, really just trying to implement into the culture of our companies. And now that's kind of what I do at, in, in consulting businesses or either coaching individuals is that I, I try to get people to look at those three areas because those three areas are your life, who you are and enough money to complete your dreams and then changing the world for good. If you get all three of those things, you got it. And that's the, the interesting thing. And, and another, you know, and spirituality, whether in faith or in just at least an understanding of the self, I that's think right. is one of the things that's important. So, Quite often, you know, a lot of folks that maybe don't necessarily, you know, they, they don't subscribe to any particular faith or, right. or whatever, but they can find a great uh, book. I suggest to a lot of folks as well as one called The Four Agreements. Uh, and, and it's one that it's uh, by a fellow named Don Miguel Ruiz. And he, this idea is, it's a very spiritual sort of guide in in way to, to approach particular things. And some of it's based in sort of stoicism, some of it's based in, uh, you know, sort of core, maybe potentially Christian faiths, uh, and some that are for, their, you know, sort of uh, Asian philosophies and, and, and Eastern philosophies. But in the end, none of it is specific, but then you can map it to any faith or any spirituality. And if you have no, if you've not chosen to embrace a faith, you find it in yourself. Really, the beauty of it is it's these, it's the story that is told in a way that's meaningful and that's impactful and that you can relate to it. And that then from there, you can sort of discover how to bring that and learn from that. And, and it's, uh, that's, there's a lot that we can find in, in those stories. And you talked about, you know, you probably have a hunk of a bookstore sitting somewhere in your house, you know, I, I've done the same. I've got, you know, a lot of different books. And sometimes you find you're like, oh, look, if I get 12 books about, you know, how to be a good founder or how to be a good salesperson or getting to yes and, and all yeah. these kind of things. So we joke, if you read a lot of them, they start to sound, they're fairly familiar, right? That's right. But there's a reason because the way in which the story is told will be impactful to somebody which is why there's 10, 12, 20, 100 books on any particular subject. And maybe sometimes like I'm an, an avid consumer, so I take way more in than I probably should. But in the end, that familiarity gets bred into my own habit. Yep. And uh, look, I'm not there yet. 
and I've got a long way to go, but you know, when you talked about mentoring, I'd love to hear about that. How did, how did mentoring become a part of your personal success, both as a mentor and also your relationship with another mentor in your life? I think that's, that's really the latter part is really how I learned to value it. Um, by the people who poured life into me for a lack of better words in all these different areas that, you know, it, it, I was as a young entrepreneur having people that knew how to do things that I didn't and then actually being willing to just give them to me, you know, and, and pour them into me without really anything in return. You know, it really touched me as a young guy. And, and then, you know, I started adopting the whole thing of, of, of growth and contribution that if I, if I, I love to read books and find new tidbits of information, revelations, insights and stuff, so that I can give it away. Cause when I give it away and I see people light up like a Christmas tree, that's what causes me to burn, you know? And so, you know, for me, it's like the first part of it was being mentored by people who were willing to pour their life into me and not really ask for things in return. And then, so I, you know, I started adopting that process of giving away what I had because, you know, when I was 20, I knew something, but when I was 40, hopefully I know more, you know, and obviously <laughs> 50 and 62, you know, so, so, uh, but so the people you mentor and the, and the people you can speak into their lives, obviously they get bigger. I've, I've got a guy that I met with this morning. Who's a, he used to be a professional soccer player and played at the highest level. And uh, he has these coaching programs where he coaches younger kids now and it's just so awesome but he is a champion he doesn't need me to tell him how to be a champion you know it's like people teaching tiger woods you know playing golf like what, what are you going to teach tiger woods you know you're not a, you, nobody's as good as he is right but it's not that that's not mentoring mentoring is bringing the value of your experience your life experience what you've been able to glean out of life and actually see the something in the person that you can pull out that I call pulling out the gold, digging out the treasure that's in that human being and, and helping them to excel at the level they're called to excel at. You know, you, everyone who's coached Tiger Woods, none of them are ever going to have the success on the golf course that he has. That's a great metaphor, right? But I can tell you what they did do. They pulled out more gold that, that was in him that he didn't recognize. And it's interesting because, you know, people that are, that are of that high caliber and whatever they do, um, they know, they see the need for mentoring, you know, and, and it's like, it's an ongoing process, you know, but for me, it, it still comes back to the whole thing about being able to give things, you know, give, I want to grow. So I actually have something to give away. You know, I want, I want to, I want to, I just want to, I'm a, I'm a just a, almost addicted to growing, you know, in a good way to just like, I, I'm just reading and I'm, I'm consuming with relationships and people and talking to you. And it, and that inspires me because it gives me the juice to have the discipline to read and study and do the things you have to do to pour enough good in me. So good starts coming out to help others. If you think about the coach and mentor you know, relationship to the player or to the student or to the mentee or to the employee or to the peer or whatever it is to, into a relationship. It, th there's a reason that most of the professional, say football coaches are generally not actually football players. Mm -hmm. Like you said, they're, they're, 
they're not there because they're going to be, they've been better at it than the player. They're there because they've been able to teach the player to be better than themselves, the, than their previous self. Absolutely. And to be able to unlock potential that sometimes people don't see. One is funny, a very recent podcast I did with uh, Sherry McGurnahan. Sherry's a fantastic person, and she was somebody I've been helping out when she's looking for, for opportunities. And when we were just talking through some stuff, even on the podcast, it's, it's, because it's non-visual, they don't, you, you don't get to see it. But at one point she describes it and I said, you know, how do you help with people on a team? She's like, sometimes even when you get people who are, you know, they're up and she's pauses, you know, uh, an employee who's got like, it's hasn't quite found their spot on the team or however she describes it. And then she goes through and she explains, and I said, Sherry, I got to stop you because the way you just said that was so fundamentally different than the most people. And I know you were going to say it. And I said, you may not even know you're going to say it. You almost said somebody who's a bad employee, but you wouldn't let yourself say it. Mm-hmm. What is it in you that won't let you say someone's a bad employee? And right. That's that. And it's, just to be able to, she would never have seen what she did. It's, it was physical. It was in the pause and the way that she said it. But yeah. what's, what's really great is that just that person that's beside you when you're relating a story, they can hear something that you don't even realize you're saying. It's whether it's nonverbal or just the, the phrasing and how you describe it. You need an outside ear and an outside eye to capture that and feed it back to you. And that's really, Absolutely. I think, the, the relationship where it's important. Like having someone just listen to you and give you a pat on the back and say, great job, Don, just keep on going. You're, you're on the right path. You're like, no, no, <laughs> like, no I, I need, uh, what can I do better tomorrow that you've heard that I'm struggling with right now? That's really what I'm looking for. <laughs> it's true. You know, going deep with people takes time. This is why relationships are so uh, valuable. I have this saying that I adopted for one of my mentors. He said, God, gives you potential but he doesn't complete it for you and for me what that really tells me is that uh you know the 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 potential completing process is twofold it's or threefold it's what you're given before you're born but then it's what you do with it the talents that what are you gonna do with the talents you've been given and then the other part that i think we miss is the interdependence of others I don't care how much of a leader you are. I don't care if you're Tiger Woods or if you're a founder of a $500 million or billion-dollar company. The, the, we are created as humans for deep relationship. And without that, there's always there's something missing in our life, right? And so you hit it on the head. It's like you know something you say just kind of off-cuff sometimes is the very thing the person beside you needed to hear or the person that you're pouring life into needed to hear. And you don't even realize you don't, well, you're like, well, yeah, of course that's not profound, you know, but it is to <laughs> them, right? It's life altering at that moment for them. And it's like, I've had so many of those aha moments, you know, or epiphanies or revelations or encounters, whatever you want to call them. But I had so many of those moments where I had close friends who know me, they know my heart, they know, they know, uh, you know, I have a couple of gentlemen in my life who I call my best friends. And I call both of them that because they both are and they're the closest to me. I can tell them all the ugly stories. I can call them and, you know, cuss and fuss and give them all my bad side as well as my good side. They've seen all of it. Right. And uh, but it's interesting. The people who you allow to uh, get close enough to you to really know you, they actually give you some of the most profound shifts in your life because 
they'll say, well, you know, that's not true. That's not what you think. This is who you are or, or whatever, you know, and, and, and it's like, I've had so many of these things happen just kind of as an anomaly in a conversation, you know? And so then that, that even inspires me more to like, make sure I'm listening all the time to people around me, because one of the things in building successful companies, if you're going to have one bigger than just you and two people, uh, you have to build an inner circle. You have to build teams. And, uh, and really for people like me and most founders, uh, that's not always easy because you are the visionary. You're the person that's taking it to the next level. You're the one who knows what you want to do. But boy, I tell you what, one of the greatest lessons that I've learned the last company that I sold, I had the most amazing inner circle and I would never, as, as a, as a visionary and somebody who knew right and knew what we needed to do most of the time. And it was all, and it was usually right way. I would never make any of those decisions probably in the last three to four years of running that business without including them, their opinions, their feedback. And then most of the time I wouldn't override their opinions. I would, I would say, okay, we're not, it's not time for that. There was a occasion that I would, but for the most part, nine times out of 10, they were right. They had more of the heartbeat of the company and the employees that I did. And they were, they were typically right. And two, two, two of the people in that team were my vice presidents. So they were definitely my inner, inner circle, but it's like, you know, these people, this is why you should be, you know, uh, I like the whole thought process. I want every man to become a teacher. Absolutely. You know, so that we don't miss, because a lot of times when you get to a certain level in life, you don't listen to everybody as much as you used to when you only knew this you know, being an inch worth that people can't see it, but you and I can see each other. And then all of a sudden you're this big in life. Now your whole arm length hold out three foot versus an inch. Let me tell you that the, the, the parable that Jesus taught the disciples when he brought the child in the middle of the circle. And he said, this right here is an example of the kingdom of God, that child. And so when we let, when we let people at every level, whether it's our kids or whether it's our friends or whether associates business, become our teacher we'll be more rounded and we'll be more uh, adept for the next level of life we're going to and the when building a company it is a real exercise in trust and faith that you're building a team and that team is going to become your inner circle and they have to as a tight group every decision you make will very profoundly and directly impact everybody in that team and then what's interesting is there's going to be a point where at certain scales, it's diff you are no longer as connected to the day-to-day -day processes as you were. And I've heard it described uh, as the, you have to be heavily involved in hiring the first hundred people. And that's because the first hundred will hire the next thousand and you won't be a part of that. That's and true. so you have to make sure that the, those first, that founding team and that, growth team and that that building team has to understand the vision and agree on how to disagree and move through decision making when there's not consensus you have to be able to develop a methodology for when you how how do you get to decision when there can't be consensus you know at some point let's you say look i gotta override you and you just got to trust me and we'll test it and I'm happy to be wrong. And, and if we are, then so be it. But this is the way we're going to, you have to make hard decisions sometimes. So Don, talk about that building the team experience. What, what is, 
what are successful methods that you found in sort of designing and embracing that first team to build a company? Well, I, th I think you have to look at it. So the, I have a product called world-class business systems that I'm finishing. It's, it's been complete for a while, but I don't really have it online, but I, it, it basically is learning how to systematize everything in your business. So building a team is what I found out is the same way. You have to systematize. You have to go in there with what do I want, document the things you want, uh, the plans, policies, and procedures you want to go at achieving this particular thing. And that's building your inner circle. And so the, that's kind of the technical part of it. The feely part of it, or what I would call more of the spiritual side of it, is how do I find people who are uh, loyal, authentic, and owners? Those are the three. I talk about those in one of the chapters, one of the modules in the course, is that I don't allow anyone close to me who's not an owner. I don't allow paycheck players close to me. Doesn't mean that they can't work at the companies that I run. They're just not going to be in the inner circle. Right. And so most people understand that thought process. The people that I looked for in my, in building the inner circle, I was looking for loyalty to the company and, and them having a great attitude with that. And, and that they were authentic authenticity to me, you know, you could have someone who's a rear end, but they're authentic. And you know, most people will respect that person, even though they might not like his language or uh, her or whatever, you know, but they'll say, he's, he's real. That's the way he is all the time, right? That's, right. You yeah. know, so. the, the, that's true. And it's funny, they, the genuineness and consistency is really what we want. We may not agree with it, but one of the things I, even, I tell people is to find somebody that you profoundly disagree with and think to yourself why you respect that. Yeah. And yeah. look, because, and the biggest thing that people usually come up with is, well, at least they're consistent. Like, well, that's, just, that's a darn good trait to have, right? Absolutely. Whether you don't, you may fundamentally disagree with them, but you always know where you stand. <laughs> that's exactly right. So when, you, when you're building the team, um, and, and, you know, there's a great book, everyone knows who John Maxwell is. He's got a classic called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Take that book if you're struggling with, with kind of a plan policy procedure type thing and read through there and realize that you want these attributes in your leaders. And uh, what I, cause it, the, the, I talk about it in one of the modules in the course, uh, about 13 of those laws applied to me building the business I built. And I kind of explained why. And so you'll find out that the law of the inner circle it, you know, you're going to be either uplifted as your comp as a company by that, or you're going to be destroyed. And uh, so you want to take, you know, to the factors the really the tree for the three for me is loyalty to a fault, authenticity. And then are they owners? Do they come to work? I never promoted anyone to the VP role and are let them in my circle until they proved to me that they came to work like they owned the business that I owned regardless of whether they owned it or not. And those, that was kind of a key finder for me. When I seen people like that, I, would, I didn't care what level they were at in the business. I would reach out and try to pull them in and see how receptive they were and if they were responsible and loyal and authentic to themselves and, and just some of those other things that you know you're going to have the work ethic had to be there. You know, there's a long, longer list, but if you don't have loyalty, authenticity, and ownership, the other ones are not going to matter. What I, another thing that you mentioned right there is 
I believe that it's the, you said anything, any single event or anything that happens can either be the, the thing that builds you to the next level or that destroys you. And I think that I've described every event in someone's life is a Rorschach test, which means that you have an opinion on what you believe it actually is. Mm-hmm. And because quite often people will say like, look, you know, it's whether they call it the glass half full glass, you know, half empty. And I know a few people that are like, not only is it, is it half empty, it's never going to be full. It's impossible <laughs> for it ever be full again. And you're like, okay, I get it. Like, I know that's how you're going to deal with a lot of things in your life. <laughs> and also the, the, the crazy cockeyed optimist who refuses to actually look at what's really going on and just says like, everything's cool. You know, trains on fire, but Hey, we're still moving forward. Right. You're like, yeah, heading towards the, the mountain, you know, it's, so we have to we have to take a look at those and you have as an owner and i mean everybody as an owner i believe is the power to create a a result from any event so that rorschach test is truly mapped in your choice and look there's some stuff where it's just it's going to hurt right and there is no positive way through it so then in my view the positivity comes in how you survive it and how you build compensating capabilities as a result of that thing you couldn't avoid and you had to live through that was difficult. So that's, but that's the ownership. And, you know, what are, what are kind of the key things that you think that we could do for ourselves, Don, to unlock that? Like what is, what is something that we can look back on? Maybe look at, do we look at previous events? Do you look at others in your, in your community, outside of the community? How have you been able to, before you lived through that experience, find a way to, you know, recognize how to be an owner of something, whether it's, you know, your, your timeline, your wealth line, your family, your business, whatever it is. You know, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I have um, success leaves clues. So the first thing I would say is that, that when I was younger, I started, uh, everybody was bigger than life than me. <laughs> you know, so I had plenty of mentors when I was 20 because most everybody knew more than I did. You know, so I looked at things that I wanted my life to be like. And I looked at those attributes that were being lived out in others. And I tried to adopt some of those into my own personality, not become them, but make it work in my own world. The other piece that I think that uh, is, is kind of the test, you, you called it a test. It's, to me, this is the God test. If you're faithful in little, you'll be made ruler over much. So if you don't, if you're, when I started in business, um, and I won't tell you what the, the whole story, but one of the first businesses in 1986, the revenue we did that business, by the time I sold the second company I sold, my income was twice that a year. So it was a large discrepancy, right? But the whole thing is, is that what I did is I tried to be faithful with the little things and the clients that I had in them. And so if you don't come in with a, to me, an owner is really simple to describe. It's someone who comes in with a good work ethic, a decent attitude. They don't have to have the greatest attitude, but they got to have a decent attitude. And then they apply themselves and try to become better daily. 
It's the Kanai way of life, constant and never ending improvement. And when you see that in a person, that person, you might not, I don't think you can teach everybody. Like you're a tech guy. So there's probably some technical stuff you couldn't teach me no matter what, because I'm not that big of a tech person. I have a son-in-law to take care of that stuff for me. <laughs> but anyways, because, and, and that stuff drives me crazy. It's like scratching chalkboard, right? So I don't believe you can teach everybody how to be successful in every year of life. But what I believe is when the success leaves clues based on your personality, then you, you, you help format those people uh, into the owners that you know they could be. And I, and I think I had mentors to do that for me in the early days. So that's the first thing that you can do. You find mentors that you can learn from. And then the second thing that you have complete control over your mentors, you don't have control over. But the second thing is what you do daily. It's those daily habits of hard work and effort. And you know whether you've laid. I, I work out with a bunch of crazy CrossFit people. And they know when I've left 100% on the floor. And they know when I'm not giving my best because we worked out enough. So you're the only one who knows if you gave 100% that day. And if you didn't, I love John Wooten's story. I don't know if you're, you're probably familiar with John Wooten. Most people know him. But he never talked about winning and losing. And he won eight, I think it was either seven or eight national championships back to back. And he won a total of 11. What he talked to his guys about was come when they practice, <clears throat> he, excuse me, he made them, you have to give 100% because you only have 100% to give. And they would come and say, well, coach, I'm going to give 80 today because I'm tired. He said, well, you never get that 20 back because you can't give 120 the next day. <laughs> so that's and right. I thought that's such an amazing metaphor for life. I know. And there, look, hey, we're all human. So we all have those days where we don't want to give 100%. That's fine. Just don't let that become the normal path of your life. If that becomes a normal path of your life, you're going to find yourself not being an owner, basically. And, yeah, and that's the, how I define it. The interesting thing about that, too, is people look to somebody who's sort of maybe gotten further with a th with a thing whatever it's right. going to be whether it's physicality whether it's it's uh wealth whether it's business whatever it, it happens to be i remember uh, so i i do cycling it's one of my 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 passions i really enjoy it and i do it i'll describe it as i do it more than most but less than many so uh, to a, a large percentage of my friends they're like you're crazy and to most of the people that I aspire to be, they're like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what I did was I, was I used to teach spinning uh, classes like indoor cycling before Peloton. We used to have to go to gyms and do it on indoor bikes. But the more I would cycle and I would talk to people and they're like, oh, I, I don't even ride a bike. They said, this must be so much easier for you. I'm like, no, no, it's never easier because my dial is just maybe a little further tightened down than yours. I'm always at 100% of me. And so I, I, it hurts just as bad every day. The difference is relative to each other. Maybe I may be pushing a little harder or moving a few more watts than, than the person next to me. But I'm always, I'm either at 100% of me or I know. And like you said, my favorite quote and I, I don't feel bad. Some people, I'm probably not allowed to quote Lance Armstrong because everybody's angry at him all the time. But he says, when you, when you quit, only you will know and no one else cares. That's exactly right. It's a good And I've, I've done that literally riding up a mountain when I lived in Vancouver, BC. I would do these every weekend. I would go up and it was a 12 kilometer, like 7% gradient. You're just grinding it up there for 45 straight minutes. There's no respite. 
And I remember going up one time and, and thinking like, that's it. I'm tapped out. I can't do it. I'm like, Don, that's it. I'm, I'm turning around because there's, no, there's no one else up there but me. No one will know that I didn't go all the way up. They're just going to see me on the ride down and think like, oh, yeah, look at that. Eric really cranked it out today. And then I stopped and I got off my bike. And then I just said, nope. I clipped back in and I started riding and I knew it was going to be hard and I knew it was going to be painful and I knew it was going to be slow and I was going to be disappointed with the outcome. But I would have been a lot more disappointed if I had just turned left and headed down the, down the hill. It's really hard to, to do that. And it takes looking to an inspiration, I think, to, to do that. If you can find it in yourself constantly, oh, God bless you. <laughs> yeah, but I think exactly. even the most faithful, inspired, self-moving type A people, they've got to they've be able to, every once in a while, they've got to go outside. Yeah. That's exactly right. You know, I think about what my dad used to tell me. He said, son, you can quit all you want to as long as you show up for work in the morning. Yeah. I think sometimes it's okay. It, it's okay to, it's okay to, um, it, it's, it's almost like a stoic type thing. I'm reading this book called uh, Fortitude by Dan Crenshaw. And he talks about the stoics in there. He was a former Navy SEAL and I love that kind of stuff. And and the interesting thing about it is he said, you know, as SEALs, what, what he says is he says, we would teach people how to sweat the small stuff so we wouldn't sweat the big stuff. And you would heal their SEALs as a team would complain about, you know, minute things. And you're like, well, you're SEALs. Why are you complaining about it? But he said, it's almost like a pressure release valve so that you're able to deal with the real big pressures of life. And see, I think it's okay to play the mental game of I'm done. I'm done. And then... But then between that time of I'm done and tomorrow morning or whenever it starts for you, you say, no, I'm going to get up and go again. And it's like this, it's, it's almost like a, you disengage your emotions from it. Like you were talking about early in the, in the broadcast about being able to not attach to so much emotion to the good things and also to be able to detach from the really bad things that happen. It's actually a positive you know, it's not a negative. It, it, it's a stoic attribute, which I think is so cool. And uh, I don't know that I'm as good at it probably as you are, but, but, I, but I attempt to be, you know. And, and for me, it's like, don't be so hard on yourself. Look, life is short. And uh, I love this statement. We build, we build highways to the place called pissed off and dirt roads to happiness. <laughs> life is too short to suffer. And you're in charge of the meaning of everything that comes in your life. So you get to choose whether you suffer through it or not. And I'm like, I love that thought process because it gives me hope on the bad days. Look, we're all, you know, when you're doing, when you're doing your cycling and you're, and you're, the endorphins are going and everything's going right. Uh, you're just like, you're on top of the world, man. Nothing. But then you have those days where you go ride that bike and you're like, man, I, I'm sore everywhere. I don't feel it. I don't know how, I don't even want to be here. Right. Yeah. What is the difference in the two days? Well, I mean, I don't know, something physical, something going on inside of you. Well, see, for me, instead of being a hard person, just cut yourself some slack. That doesn't, that doesn't give people an excuse to quit all the time. If you're going to quit all the time, you're the one who knows it. I love that quote. But the reality of it is there's going to be bad hair days. There's going to be mundane Mondays by the dozens. And just understand that is part of the process of you becoming. And we used to have this rule at the last business I ran. 
And I, I taught this. I, I took systems, built systems. I built a system around this. And I would teach my top people. The, the, they were area managers, DPs, uh, top salespeople, the top probably 15 or 20 people of that business. I told them, it's okay for you to have a bad day. When you come in and you know you're having a bad day, stay away from the clients as much as possible and everybody else. Just don't let a bad day become a bad week, two, three, month. And if, it, if that happens, you need to come and talk to me about it or talk to someone on our team to see what's the problem. Because to tell people, you know, hey, look, you're in you're at the company now. Don't bring your personal tragedies to work. The reality of it is your personal life affects your professional life. It, you can't separate the two. People say they can separate. I'm like, that's a lie. I've been doing this a long time and you can't do it. You just cannot do it. If you, if you had a terrible something going on with your mate or, or your kids the night before, and you don't think you bring some of that to work the next day, you're not human. You're a cyborg, right? And yeah. so the reality of it is, is that cut people some slack. Our, our largest core value at our business was the pursuit of happiness. And the reason was because happy people are productive people. So we tried to create an ecosystem and culture just around being people being happy and finding the best fulfillment. It didn't mean that every day was perfect. It just meant that was our culture. And so, you know, we had these little air guns. You've seen them where you shoot the little darts and everything. Yeah, yeah. And all of the main leaders in the, in the building had them. And so when, when somebody got mad and, uh, you know, and, and just was like having something or a customer, didn't do something, we, we gave them full rights. You can unload the gun on, in on us at the office anytime you want to. And we would do it. And it was just something to break the monotony of like life is, yes, it's serious, but it's also supposed to be a little bit of fun, isn't it? And it's like, you know, learn how to cut yourself some slack. And if you have to use the metaphor that my dad is, you can quit all you want to as long as you're at work in the morning. The other one he used was, hey, you know, like we'd get overbooked or we'd be underbooked in the first business that I ran. And he would say, uh, and, and I'd be freaked out about both. I'm like, we got too much business. How are we going to get to How are we going to get to And then we didn't have enough. Oh my God, we don't have enough. Business. And he would, this was always his statement. He, he was just monotone. He was one of the Stoics. He's like, let's just go work. Let's show up and go to work. And I'm like, boy, that is so simple. But when I showed up and went to work, I forgot about being overbooked or underbooked. We have uh, my uh, my chief marketing officer at my company. Is uh, he's a classic Bostonian, and uh, they're all sort of students of Bill Belichick. And every once in a while, you'll have one of the a really tough situation that we're going through, and we have an event. Everyone's kind of like under the gun. We feel the pressure, and he'll just say, he says, "I I don't want to say it, but you know what? It, this is this sucks right now." He says, "But." You got one thing to think about, do your job. That's it. Yep. Like muscle through this. It's not going right. to be easy, but we'll, we'll be on the other side of it. And uh, a really good book that I recommend to folks is one's called Legacy. It's actually to talk about the New Zealand All Blacks uh, rugby team. Oh, yeah. And the, the sort of practices and principles that they use. And, and it's something that my company I'm so proud of the, the family that I've, I've been a part of through my work because one of the things they do, they said they had the, the game, they had winning game and, you know, their top players are, are all in there. Everybody's in, you know, celebrating and they, they're going over like what worked, what didn't. And they have real, they're really good at kind of retrospectives and, and evaluating things. And they said, okay, now it's time to celebrate. And the whole team, goes except for the top players and they clean up the locker room and they sweep up 
and the reporter who's with them, the author, he says, why, why are your top scorers sweeping the room? He says, because that's what we do. I love it. And that's, that's why they do what they do out there so that we can do what we do in here. And it's, it's every day, you know, it's like I say, average it out. You know, we're going to, there's not, there's going to be a lot of 80 20s. There's a lot more 80 than 20. It's just that's straight right. math. <laughs> that's right. that's and right. so you, but you average, you got to live, think, think about the moment and think about how it, it will average out. And it's, it's, uh, it's, jump. I tell you, Don, I could, I could spend all day. You are a fantastic inspiration and a person who I, I'm, I'm pleased I've been able to share this time with. What's, what's the best way for folks to kind of get in touch with you, learn more about you? Obviously, you've, uh, so I'll, I'll put links to, to your website. Uh, so it's, it's easy to find you, donwlong.com. Uh, you got a lot going on. Yep. Um, how do you, I'll ask one thing before we close up. How do you, how do you stay on top of it? You've, you've got a lot, of, a lot of plates that are spinning, so to speak. How do you prioritize uh, when you, as I know, you're, you're like me. I, I got, it looks like I've got three things on the go. I've actually got eight. I just don't tell people the other five. <laughs> you know, one of the things is that after writing the blueprint of God, what I started doing is, is I'm a big list person. I actually have a pad right here. I just wrote that the book name down because I love it. I like having pads with pens and I realize we live in a, a tech, uh, world where people yeah, <laughs> sometimes keep up with it, but I like to physically write it down. So for me, I'm a list driven person. So therefore I can write out the things that I've got to get done. And, 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 I, and that's really kind of how I stay. And when I was running the business before we had all the technology you could think of, but I had a day timer. It was, a, it looked like a big black Bible basically. And it was like one day is a whole sheet. So I got to write down all the stuff on it. You know, it's funny. It's a trade name, right? They actually like Daytimer was the company. Right. I'm not even sure if they're actually are still the company. It's probably been bought and sold by a dozen other yep. other brand names. But yeah, I I, I remember, you know, and this is it. Like I literally, I show yep. you. This yep. is my. I said, I am. I've got two days left for. I'm on PTO for a week, and my backlog is out of control, Don. And so I'm like you. I just said, all right, I'm gonna get three things done today. What yeah. are those three things? And yeah. uh, and that's it. One down. So I'm just about to complete the second and then I'm on to the third. And then that's my, look, I got 20 things I got to get done, but there's three I'm going to get done today. Yeah. And, right. and you have to like stop and writing it down. I think physically writing it is a, is a very important thing. It actually does train your brain to do certain things. Like that's why journaling is important too. That's right. Is that's because right. it allows you to, you're visualizing because you're physically writing, it causes you to slow down and you're actually thinking more thoroughly about it there's actually a lot of behavioral psychology that's wrapped in the practice of of journaling and and stuff so it's uh it's neat but yeah so and i'll ask you one more thing when do you know to let go of something when it's like we all know we hold on a little long to something that isn't working how have you been able because you've done a lot and i know at some point you've definitely probably you know walked a little further off the diving board than you should have. We all do. Mm -hmm. How do you learn to identify when we've held on too long? For me, it was about learning to know myself because that, that's to, knowing yourself, your tendencies, your strengths, your passions, your desires, 
the identity piece is so huge because if it's like, if you're holding on to an employee too long, like one of the bad ones that you should have let go, because I have this big loyalty gauge. The reason I love loyalty is I'm a loyal person to a fault. And uh, for me, if you have a team like I did, I had my team come to me and they would tell me, Hey, this person doesn't need to be here anymore. <laughs> They'd have to come tell me because they were one of my people, right? And I'm like, well, no, 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 let's just give it. And, and, you know, I'd be long suffering, but I had a team to help me a little bit. But, but if you don't have a team, the way you learn to let go is that pain is a great teacher as long as it doesn't become a jailer. And the universe will bring pain into your life until you find out why the pain is there. And so then go through the process of of what that pain is revealing to you and walk through it. And so that is one metaphor that's easy to, to follow. The other piece for me is only do what you're good at. I heard John Maxwell say this one time and I wanted to take him to task. He said, I never do things that I, I never ever do anything that I'm not gifted to do anymore. Well, I got to where I could do that at the last company. And I realized a lot of entrepreneurs are one people operations and two or three and starting. So you will have to do things you don't like to do that you right. cause you to scratch the board. But when you come to a list, I always do the things that I'm the most qualified for and the best gifted at first with my, with the most energy of the day for me, whether that's morning or night, you have to figure that's coming back to doing you. Then I do the, the scratching of the chalkboard things. I never do those first because I want to be inspired and I want to feel physically vibrant when, and mentally engaged when I'm doing the tasks that bring the most value back to me. And so that's kind of how I rolled. And, and you know, sometimes I don't get as much done on my list as, uh, as I need to. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's, that's what's led you to the success. And, and I say success very, very confidently. Success is self-defined. Success is how you feel about what you've just achieved. And that could be the smallest thing. I, I, so one of the things I do, I do a, I'm a mentoring program, actually building a platform to help connect mentors together. And one of the, one of the, the I call them journeys, right? Everybody has a, you have got a bunch of different journeys, get certified, you know, do a hundred pushups, like a lot of crazy things. And one of Lily is just to, to do a hundred pushups. It seems like a weird thing, but I help people. And I said, I'm going to teach you how to do a hundred pushups in a day in a row. And it's gonna, you can do it in 90 days. And every program that's out there, and it just kills me, it says, all right, drop and give me as many as you can before you're exhausted. And so my program is very simple. It's day one. All right. I need you to drop and give me one. Yep. All right, stop. Okay, good. You're done for the day. Tomorrow, you're going to do one. <laughs> yes. And then you do two. And then you do four and then you do two. And I, so I've actually got this progression till on the final day, day 90, you do a hundred in a row. And because of creating this gentle progression, it sets the stage for the previous success sets you up for the next one. Yep. Because if you have these big setbacks and that's it, your flow of do the stuff, you know, will inspire you to do the thing that's uninspiring. Yep. And maybe one day, you know, like there's a, there's a ton of great stuff that, I, that I'm good at. And there's a whole long list of things that I'm terrible at. And yeah. I know they got to get done. And, and it's, uh, it's tough to do those things. But that whole thing of like using the success of one thing to inspire you through the next, 
it's uh, a careful ordering. And again, something we've, we've learned through life. So Don, this has been fantastic. And thank you very much. Uh, I look forward to the chance to talk again. When, you're, when your next uh, courses and your, your next, uh, your, your, your business uh, course launches, please do let me know. I'll be happy to share it. I'd love to actually explore some more. We didn't even really dive into the specifics of some of the business lessons. So again, yeah. I'll, I'll tell people, you know, you can go and, and you can uh, pick up the book. We've got Seller Don't Eat, which was, uh, which was really great. Uh, and I have not had a chance to read the Blueprint of God yet. Uh, I, I'm, unfortunately, my reading backlog is, is one of those things. It's a long <laughs> checklist. <laughs> I understand. I understand. But uh, thank you very much for, for sharing your story today. And, and I look forward to you know, one day, maybe uh, you'll be my mentor. I, I, I can hope that we could put that together. Yeah, I look forward to it. Eric. I really appreciate the time and uh, really have enjoyed it so much. And when the new product comes out, I'll be glad to, to connect with you and hook you up with it. Excellent.